Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. We're moving into the final segment of our morning, and we're moving from the national and the international to one of the most important of the local leaders here in Minnesota, but a national voice. Uh, Sandra Samuels is the founder and uh, president, CEO of the Northside Achievement Zone, which is one of the promised neighborhoods in the nation. Uh, but it grew out of, uh, uh, I would say, a very important but unusual uh, path where there was an organization, the Peace Foundation, uh, created to try to deal with the question of gun violence and violence and the deaths that were so prevalent. And this whole notion that finding peace requires finding a new path so that our children are surrounded by all of the things they need to be successful has led to one of the nation's most honored and in incredibly well supported in the sense of people saying, yes, here's the right way to do it. And that has been because Sandra Samuels had a vision of what it meant to really love all of our children and then to really prepare them and support them to be ready so that they could be all set to go, whether it was college or what part of life. I'm so thrilled, Sandra, that you could be with us here today and very, very happy to take you, give you this opportunity and to hear that story of how Northside Achievement Zone is moving us ahead and building things back better. Yes, thank you. Well, Mark, so great to be here with you and with the international community. What an amazing day, the International Day of Education. I mean, I, I, I just like, I, I didn't even know it existed. And so I feel doubly honored uh, to be a part of it. And so um, as Mark uh, mentioned, I am Sandra Samuels, President and CEO of the Northside Achievement Zone. Uh, we are located in North Minneapolis and um, Minnesota. And, and I do, I wanna talk to you about um, what we're doing to address as a community, an, a, a different approach um, to education and to supporting education. Um, and, and we did have a way, we didn't start that way. We started addressing violence as, as Mark just mentioned. And so what I wanna do is I wanna show you a video of promised neighborhoods. So you'll get a grounding in terms of who we are um, and then I'm gonna go backwards and tell you how we began, how we had this evolution from a violence prevention organization to one that um, was based in community uh, and, and the power of place in supporting schools and families um, to, uh, to educate all of our children. And, um, and so I have a video I wanna show you. And before that, I always like to do a little bit of poetry um, as part of my presentations. And I um, am a Hamilton geek. And there's, there's one song, uh, Dear Theodosia, if any of you have seen it internationally, and I know there's all kinds of things around classism, you know, who could afford it. But anyway, um, Dear Theodosia, and uh, Hamilton and his nemesis are talking about their children, their very young children and our very young country. And um, in the United States, certainly when you put us up against China, we are still um, just a twinkle in our parents' eye, you know, in, in terms of the time we've been alive. But I'm not singing. Um, you'll come of age with our young nation. 
we'll bleed and fight for you. We'll make it right for you. And if we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll give the world to you, we'll pass it on to you, and you'll blow us all away. Someday, someday, you'll blow us all away. And, uh, and I, I truly believe that. And, and I just, I, I, I believe that foundationally, their children don't come in pieces. There's so many things they need, uh, including education. Um, but we education is a solid foundation upon which a child grows and develops and comes into his or own, um, her own efficacy. So let me show you um, a little video about two Promise neighborhoods. So we're a Promise neighborhood, the Northside Achievement Zone, and there's also a Promise neighborhood in Kentucky, Berea, Kentucky, that I want to share with you as well. And Promise Neighborhoods was a program that was created by the Obama administration in 2010. And the intention was his administration said, we've got to do something innovative in terms of education. And you heard the speaker beforehand, and, and you know there's been so many uh, different um, types of education reform. This one was steeped in community, and he wanted to model to replicate the Harlem Children's Zone because in Harlem, they had this experiment where you know, over a thousand formerly thought of as uneducable kids were going away to four-year colleges, graduating, and then coming back to Harlem and helping to rebuild uh, the fabric of community. And so when Obama became president, he said, why should there just be one community where a promise is being made? Because in Harlem, they had a promise, they have promise academy. He said, um, um, every community should make a promise to its children. And so um, he promised to replicate Harlem Children's Zone in 21 neighborhoods, which he did when he got elected. Um, and we were one of those neighborhoods that was selected because of our um, focus on education and all of the wraparound supports. Um, and Berea, Kentucky was also a community that was selected. And that was in 20, we got selected in 2011, Berea, Kentucky in 2010, they were part of our 2011 implementation um, group as well. $28 million for five years to build up what you're about to see in both our neighborhoods. The achievement gap basically is showing that a high percentage of our children of color do not succeed in school, do not graduate high school, compared to white children. The education gap is real, the housing gap is real, the employment gap is real, the mental health gap is real, this stuff is real. Minnesota usually is one, two, or third in the country in ACT scores. We're worst in graduating kids of color. And it's important because this is the future of our workforce. So that's the problem. And the question is, if that is the problem, what's the most effective way, not just to close the gap, but to prevent the gap? So the Northside Achievement Zone is a collaborative of 33 community-based organizations and eight schools. And we are working together in a results-driven fashion, holistic approach to end multi-generational poverty using education and whole family support as the two levers. Then the parents partner with a family coach who works with them to set specific goals for their family. That family coach connects them to our NAS parenting education classes and to our 44 partner organizations who support them to achieve their goals around education, housing, jobs, and health. At the same time, the student 
works one-on-one with a NAS academic coach to set their own goals for academic success. And where the NAS strategy really makes a difference is that as all this is happening, we're constantly gathering data and measuring their success. And we use that data to make sure all the pieces are working together to support families as they lift themselves out of poverty and move their children along a path to college. To have NAS to be able to bring all those different resources to the table instead of having to contact all these individual locations and the family coach working with this family to help them navigate housing, to help them navigate employment, helps to stabilize a family. They build a great network, a great group of partners, and literally neighborhood by neighborhood, they're making a difference today. They're our future workforce, and this is future economic prosperity for our region. So yes, it's the right thing to do, but it's the smart thing to do for the economic future of our community. My neighbors who live on my block are not the same as they were yesterday. And they are believing that it is possible that their outcomes for their families themselves and for our community can be vastly different than they are today. Because NAS is not looking at an individual person, they're looking at the whole family. And it starts within the family. There is not one solution. And so what we've done through the Northside Achievement Zone is we brought together a myriad of solutions. And we brought them together for the same family and the same children, and it is working. Knox County has a very high poverty rate, unemployment rate for adults. A large majority of the population here receives government assistance to live on. We have communities where the median income in 1970 is actually higher than it is now. And during that same time period, the rest of the nation, the median income has doubled. So we're getting left behind in Appalachia. And when parents and grandparents and caregivers are dealing with all this other stuff, it's often the child and their, their educational journey that's, gets, that's gotten forgotten. I know some friends that are in homes that are just really unstable. There's drugs, there's arguments all the time. Students come to school with a, a lot on their minds. They have a lot of issues at home and they're not always focused and ready to learn because of that. Your role as a teacher kind of shifts. Of course you want them to learn in the classroom and you do everything you can to help them, but you also want them to feel loved. You want them to be encouraged. Almost every health statistic that's out there is not really good in this Eastern Kentucky area. So anything we can do to start establishing a culture of healthy eaters, exercising, and just the mental, physical, and emotional health stability would be great. All of those factors coming together have created a place that is hard to live in. But the piece that doesn't speak to is that it's also a place that we love and we want to be able to stay here. Programs like Promise Neighborhood brings the community together around how do we make this a better place? How do we create more opportunities? How do we work with residents to recreate Appalachia? We have some very committed school partners. We work with three school districts, Knox County, Corbin Independent, and Barberville Independent. The more that we can have for our students with all these great programs and initiatives from Bria College, Promise Neighborhood, Health Corps, FAST program, Gear Up, we're able to reach out to our community and we can bring all those resources to help them further their education and become more career and college ready. 
What I do want to do now is also share a PowerPoint that really talks a lot more about uh, the work. And, and I am so excited to be a Promise Neighborhood and to work with communities like Berea, Kentucky, because what we're talking about, many of the things that, um, that they talked about in Berea are very similar to what we face in Minneapolis. And what you're getting is really a, a good swath of the entire United States. Um, um, an urban community, which is North Minneapolis, and a rural community, which is Berea, Kentucky. Um, uh, Kentucky is more, is part of the southern states. And so um, addressing, all of us addressing some of the disparities that happen in a place and knowing that the solutions need to come from that place. And again, it really builds on what the previous speaker talked about in terms of, it's not just education when you're talking about, talking about places that have been um, so isolated, disinvested in um, and, and left behind, it's social emotional supports. It's all the wraparound supports. It's making sure children feel loved. Now all children need it, but particularly when you're talking about children who are steeped in uh, generational poverty. So the mission of the Northside Achievement Zone is to end multi-generational poverty, building a culture of achievement in North Minneapolis, where all low-income children graduate of color graduate from high school, college, and career ready. And we accomplish it through a collaboration with parents, community organizations, and schools, and the scholars themselves. What we know is that schools cannot do it alone. If they could, they would have by now. And as we look at this time that we're in um, with this great opportunity that, 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 that the pandemic has afforded us and the civil unrest to reimagine how we do education, it becomes more important that we are united in the way that we are educating our children. And ultimately our vision is that we would have a prosperous North Minneapolis where all of our children of color are healthy, and they graduate, um, uh, they're healthy, secure academically and academically successful, ultimately realizing their unlimited potential. And I want to ever so quickly, Mark talked about the fact that we started with addressing um, uh, violence. That's what led us to education. And I wanna say um, a little bit about that. I wanna say a little bit about that. Um, just a moment. So this is where it started for us, um, the children. It's always about the children. If children are at the center, not the adults of, of the education transformation that we are all engaged in and our commitment to our children, there is no way we can't succeed. And I'm gonna talk about it later that too often our policies and our practices more so cater to the adults than they do the children. And we don't have an, a, a child problem, we have an adult problem. And I'm including myself because community leaders, uh, politicians, teachers, um, union officials, business people, neighbors, the store owner, we all have an investment in our children. And th this um, um, uh, screen here is showing um, a number of the children who were murdered in between 2000, like 2011, I'm sorry, 2005 and 2011. Um, this was the reason we started the Peace Foundation. These children here, I could even call out names um, of the children. And this is just one page. I have many, many pages, but this is the reason we started the Peace Foundation. Uh, my husband and I, 
um, and a partner of ours named Michelle Martin, who's white. We're from inner city, North Minneapolis. She was from a more well-heeled white part of white Minneapolis. And we decided that we wanted to come together across difference and create a foundation, um, public engagement and community empowerment, a movement that would bring our entire city together to bear on the violence that was really grippling, not just North Minneapolis, but many places um, throughout our city, but disproportionately in North Minneapolis. In fact, in, um, in 1996, Minneapolis was dubbed Murderapolis. And right now we're starting to see the same high levels of violence, um, the pandemic, then the murder of George Floyd and all of the, the civil unrest, the rioting, the looting, the closure of our uh, many of our businesses, burning down of businesses, um, the, uh, our, our city council announced that they want to defund and dismantle the police. All of this is adding the pandemic with kids not having their safety net of school, going there, being able to eat, be safe, go to after school programs. I mean, they've been on shutdown with all of the, the crisis that we have been in as a society and they're, they're impacted most. And that's what we found with the Peace Foundation. This is, and so we came together, black, white, different parts of the city, and um, and we would. This is a, a, a piece across the north side. Whenever uh, every year we would have like a thousand people come and just lock hands in a sign of solidarity that we were going to promote peace in our city, and um, and it was such a show of force. I mean, across all kind of backgrounds and faiths and religions, the commitment to end violence. That's, um, you can see it on the left there, a long line. And it just, it was as far as the eye could see. On the right, we had our youth engaged in sports activities with adults. One of our previous mayors, R.T. Ryback is, is in this um, shot as well. But we really wanted to engage the youth to address the, um, the lack of peace in the neighborhood. Um, we would have petting zoos at places where the violence was strongest. We'd identify those places. And that's where the community would descend. And again, across race, across class, across religion, that was the, the, the bedrock of it. And this is an example of a petting zoo that we had set up. And the police were a central part of the work that we did. You know, I, I always say we absolutely have to transform um, our system of policing. And there are good cops who want to do their jobs every day and actually be peace officers. And those are the ones that we worked with at the Peace Foundation. And we know that there's work that needs to happen. I don't wanna digress, um, but we also know that we have something to build on. We're not starting from zero. Um, our, we did a, a peace games every summer. We had a big events, races, and um, just you name it, art crawls across the community, as you can see there. And one thing that we did that was really important, whenever a young person died, we would have a vigil. And this is a picture of a vigil and we were praying over someone, I think there's a little one in the middle there, um, because we felt like we needed to go back to the places of pain and to, to reclaim those places by the community coming in and saying, you are loved and you are valued. This place is loved, this place is valued and you're not alone as a community. It was a powerful thing and we saw violence go down in a significant way, but it never stayed down. We'd have great um, years and, and we'd be written about in the paper, but the thing that we learned, and here's where education comes in and how we transformed into the Northside Achievement Zone. 
every time we buried a young person, we would find out like what were his or her aspirations. We wanted to lift them up as human beings more than what the newspaper said. And invariably it was, they had, you know, typically no kind of um, um, college aspirations, maybe to play sports, maybe to, to be in the entertainment industry. And we started seeing this connection to the violence, both in those who were murdered and those who were murdering of, of this sense of hopelessness in terms of the future. And the one key denominator, well, two, was like real dysfunction in terms of the community and families. And I live in North Minneapolis with my family and, and three daughters. And so we, we saw it up close. In fact, it's why we live here. And, um, but we saw the connection to education. That's why in 2008, about 30 Northside partners, housing, career, health, um, early childhood, schools, after school um, programs, colleges came together and said, let's start one system, effective system of support across many partners. We call it e pluribus unum is how we came up with Northside Achievement Zone. And it is a wraparound support. And this is a, um, a diagram of a model. It's two generations. We work with both the parents and the scholars. We call all the baby scholars. And many of our families get a family achievement coach that you see at the bottom of the screen, hired full time from the community to connect our families to our system of support. And that is again in housing, career, health, early childhood, K through 12 colleges. And then we have a whole host of parenting education classes. And one of our classes is called College Bound Babies. And it's for parents who have children zero to three and they learn all about brain development, positive discipline, what it takes to get your child ready for kindergarten on their trek to college. And when the parents graduate, the babies graduate too. And we give them college t-shirts that say college graduate and the year that they'll graduate from a four-year college. And for us getting at that belief gap is critical. And it's something that has been transforming the expectation of our parents and our scholars in the zone. We've done an all out marketing effort. But anyway, and we track data and I'm gonna share some data with you um, before um, we're done to show that NAS is working. And we're focused on results, we measure outcomes, we measure our partnership, we work on getting better at getting better and transforming our community through data and learning. And the end game for us again is Northside prosperity. And, and we target those who are most left behind. So this is North Minneapolis is disproportionately African-American, disproportionately low income. Um, we have been um, disinvested in, we have a disproportionate share of failing schools. Um, there are no um, 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 big jobs here. Um, our transportation system is lacking. I mean, I could go on and go on, but this is the makeup of our families in NAS. We have uh, close to a thousand families and 74% um, of them make $30,000 or less. 90% um, are families of color and 78% are uh, African-American. So that for us is the sweet spot. <clears throat> and so what we've created is one system of support. Our families create goals for their children to go to college and to build a career. They create achievement plans. That's where we house those goals. We monitor their, their progress and our progress as an ecosystem that's supporting them. Um, and we change what doesn't work in real time. We have a results process to do that. Our team of staff are co-located across our partner sites and, um, um, and they partner with 
parents and scholars and, and, and partner staff. So this is the real e pluribus unum. And right now, since the pandemic, of course, and the schools have been out, our staff are all uh, sheltering in place, um, but the schools are going back in. And what we've created is we've created a team around our scholars. So this is Team Jaquan. And, um, and so the parents and our partners and the coach, we surround Jaquan. So, so if Jaquan was ever thinking that he didn't have a support system, if he ever wondered about whether he should join a gang or not, we say to him, we're your gang. And this is um, an example of that team approach that we have around all of our scholars. And here's some of the data. The data says that NAS is working. This is over a four year trend in both reading and math. And what you're seeing is the longer NAS scholars are in NAS, the better they do in reading and math. In fact, when they come to us, 18% in reading, 9% in math with this cohort, and you can see what it is four years later, and they remain in our same schools. Um, this is also looking at NAS, more NAS is better when they have a coach that I talked about earlier and they're in one of our partner schools. Um, the purple is a coach and in one of our partner schools getting the academic strategies and the gray is a coach only. So we know that the layered approach is what absolutely works. And then early childhood and, you know, again, kindergarten readiness by the high school is a lagging indicator about whether we've educated our kids or not, right? Kindergarten, whether they're ready for kindergarten is really key. And this is, we've been able to, as NAS, to, um, to, to get many of our scholars into high quality early learning centers. And so the peach shows the number of early childhood scholars we have. And again, we call all our baby scholars to get at that belief gap. And then the gray are the high quality centers that they're in. And then the red are um, early um, childhood scholarships that NAS has been able to provide the families. And that's something that we constantly raise money for because we know how important it is. The first uh, um, uh, thousand days of a child's life, 80% of the brain is developed and, that, and, and everything is, is kind of scaffold and, and, and um, really shapes whether a child is ready for kindergarten. This is just showing some of our early childhood partners and the kindergarten readiness rate. Um, we're really excited. Our partners are all high quality and the children are definitely showing up at uh, kindergarten ready to learn. So I'm gonna start to bring this to a close and just say, you know, after me, you're gonna hear from two men that I absolutely adore and highly respect. And they're gonna be talking about education policy. And I wanted to say some things about that before we're done, because no matter with everything that we're faced with right now, especially how COVID has peeled back the colors, covers of the disparities, the, the deep disparities across race, and across class in this country. The murder of George Floyd, I keep saying that it's not a coincidence that it happened here in Minneapolis. Um, it is an, it's like an iceberg and, and George Floyd's murder was just the tip of the racist iceberg that is that happens here in Minnesota because we have some of the biggest racial disparities around education. Um, in Minneapolis, whereas only 22% of black children read at grade level, 80% of white children do. In home ownership, 75% of white families own their own home. 
only 25% of black families do. In terms of income, um, the, the median income for a black family is 36,000 across the state. It's 80,000 for white families. So 83,000, excuse me. So there are so, and then COVID itself, so many disparities. And so we can do all the great work on the ground that's possible. But if our policies, if our policies do not work for our children, not the adults, then we will always um, take steps back. We will never, ever truly educate all of our kids. And I'm going to highlight one policy around teacher effectiveness, for example. I could, I could highlight a lot of policies. And again, this is not just about schools, but this is what schools can do and must do. And, and we work on what parents need to do, what communities need to do, um, what scholars need to do. That's what we're doing in community and we are depending on schools doing what they can do. So according to Minneapolis Public Schools, the teacher is the most important factor impacting a child's education. Any of you who are parents, you know that, you were students, uh, you, you know that as well. If a child has a high performing teacher for one year, they enjoy incredible advantages years out. Negative effects on, uh, in terms of poor performing teachers on student achievement persist for years. One bad teacher and then one good teacher. Um, low achieving students are more likely to be in classrooms with lower, uh, 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 lower performing teachers. This is an example of tenure, of, of experience of a teacher. Bethune Community School is in North Minneapolis. Lake Harriet is in Southwest, a more affluent part of Minneapolis. And as you can see, we have 79% black children. Lake Harriet has 24. And just go down the grade to who is proficient in reading. Only 28% of black students are at Bethune. 88% of students at Lake Harriet are proficient. And look at the difference in years. Six years for the average teacher experience in North Minneapolis, 24 years for Southwest. Now we know that it's not just experience, and I'm gonna skip over this. We know that it's not just experience that does it. You have to have a teacher that loves children, that's innovating and so on, but we know that experience matters. And so we should have a diverse school of new teachers, teachers of color, so on and so forth. So some of the things that, that I believe need to happen are changing the, the teacher contract provisions so that we actually can have more equitable distribution because one of the things that prevents that is the teachers union and their contract. And I love teachers, this is not bashing. I just wanna keep it 100 as our parents always say. Then we need to incentivize teachers and pay them for teaching in schools um, in, in communities that other teachers don't want to. That's why they're stacked in the well-resourced parts of uh, Minneapolis, and then invest in the school communities in terms of the wraparound and things of that nature. And I and and you're about to hear, and I could go on about um, I could go on about policies. You're about it's so important. It, policies in America have shaped me, shaped my family, their inability to get an education. Then Brown versus Board of Education that 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 said no, all children deserve a quality education. I wouldn't be where I am if it were not for Brown versus Board of Education. And, and I can name a number of other policies. You're about to hear about one that's really important. In closing, I just wanna say this. I got an email from a, a lawyer, a professor from Yale named Paul Gewertz, and he clerked for Justice um, um, Thurgood Marshall. And he said he was investing in NAS. He sent us some money. And he said, because he felt like we were living the embodiment of what Justice um, Marshall's life was all about. 
And I just want to say this, and I'm going to close because I think this is really what we need right now. One, aspe one aspect of Marshall's achievement is rarely emphasized. This is what Paul said about um, um, Justice uh, Marshall. To do what he did required an heroic imagination. He grew up in a ruthlessly discriminatory world, a world in which segregation of the races was pervasive and taken for granted, where lynching was common, where the black man's inherent inferiority was proclaimed widely and wantonly, Thurgood Marshall had the capacity to imagine a radically different world, the imaginative capacity to believe that such a world was possible, the strength to sustain that image in the mind's eye and the heart's longing, and the courage and ability to make that imagined world real. The predicate for the great achievement of Brown versus Board of Education was to imagine something better than the present, to resist the acquiescence, passivity, fear, and accommodation that, that overcome so many, to defy an insistent reality with imagination and then to fight for what was imagined. We're at that time in our history where we have an opportunity to, to reimagine what education looks like. It's gonna take all of us and I'm so honored to be in the fight with all of you.